So what's next? That's a phrase we hear a lot at the beginning of a new year. What's next? What's the next thing? What's the next new thing? At home, at school, at work, on nightly news programs, on podcasts, in line at the all-you-can-eat buffet, what's next is what we hear all the time. What's, what's next? What's the next thing? Here's some headlines just from this past week. What's next for San Diego? What's next for Nebraska? What's next for iron ore prices? I don't know. Happy 10th birthday, iPhone. So what's next? What's next as part of our entire society? Probably a, a two sets of words that are used over and over again, maybe hundreds and thousands of times a day. Richard Watson is an author. He's also known as a futurist speaker and a scenario planner. He publishes a, a weekly or he publishes a report on cultural trends, and the, the report is called What's Next? In the latest issue, he has several cultural trends that he is mapping, one of which is childhood stress. That in looking at the future of trends, they're seeing an increase in childhood stress. He uses statistics from a phone and internet counseling service out of the United Kingdom known as Childline. Childline has an employee that's been there for 30 years who's named Colin Butler. This is what Colin said. The amount of distress youngsters is horrendous. Young people's mental health is a car crash. They're under so much pressure to achieve their stress to death. You see any of that in your kids or your grandkids or, or maybe the kids in the neighborhood? Drop back 30 years ago, 1986, 1987, the calls that came into Childline, these were the top five reasons that young people called in. Family problems, friend problems, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and pregnancy. Fast forward 30 years about to 2014-2015. These were the top five reasons that young people called into the Childline. Family problems, low self-esteem or unhappiness, bullying or cyberbullying, self-harm, and feeling suicidal. So, so why is it that our, our young people are experiencing these, these intense things? Well, there's a lot of reasons out there. One that Watson notes is, and he's not alone, is the presence of social media. The, the impact of social media is, is gigantic on our culture. Because what happens is young people will see what other people are getting and what other people are getting to do. And then they see what they don't get and what they don't get to do, and they begin to feel less than zero. These phone calls are constant. They're constantly calling in, seeking help. They're constantly looking for help because they're reaching out for help. And the concept of the help that they're trying to find in social media is not really helping them. It's actually pulling them away. Watson says this, Children obviously don't realize that much of what they think their friends are doing is actually a misleading edit of reality. Or maybe put another way, the family on the front of the happy, smiling Facebook Christmas card may not be a happy, smiling family. What we see is not always reality. There's another trend that Watson's following, and that's the trend of what I'm going to call bad looks, uh, or looking bad. 
Researchers show that when someone's visiting Paris and they're, they're standing in front of the original Mona Lisa, that they only stand there for about 15 seconds. On average, they only look at the painting, maybe the most famous painting in the world, they only look at it for about 15 seconds. So, so here we have this, this, this treasure, this art treasure, this historical treasure, and people give it the, the Clark Griswold, the Grand Canyon treatment, you know, just, just a few seconds. You just hear the guy saying, honey, let's go find that one that's got the dogs playing cards. I love that one. Come on, let's move on. Let's move on. Fifteen seconds for a treasure. Even the Mona Lisa gets the what's next treatment. Watson says this, just because you have seen something like the Mona Lisa doesn't necessarily mean you have looked at it. Well, Jesus wants us to look at something as we begin 2017. He wants us to to look at something and, and look at it. He wants us to see it. He wants us to look at it. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to embrace it. He wants us to enjoy it. And if you can get this one thing from Jesus, if you can get this one thing from Jesus, you'll have everything you need to do life today and tomorrow and the next day and all the other days. If you can get this one thing from Jesus, you'll have everything that you need to do life in middle school and high school, to do life when stress gets high in middle ages and when loneliness gets high in old age. Everything that you need for life, you can get if you can get this one thing from Jesus. So what is this one thing that we need to do next? Now let's find out. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 29. Jesus says, And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. So this means just stay at home, watch TV, watch movies, play video games, and miraculously, Jesus will make sure that pizza and and cheeseburgers and ribeye steaks and chicken salad and milkshakes will just appear on that TV tray right next to your beanbag chair. You don't need to do anything. No, that's that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that you don't need to work to provide food for yourself or for your family. The the word here for seek is a word that means striving. So you put that together with the word worry in the same sentence, and and the picture you get is stress. Don't stress out over what you're going to eat. Don't stress out over what you're going to drink. Now, now for us in Western culture, that may sound a little bit weird, right? I mean, because that doesn't normally sound like something we would stress out about. I heard this week that there in 2011 were 3,600 restaurants in San Francisco. 3,600 restaurants in San Francisco. Today, there are 7,600 restaurants in San Francisco. 7,600 restaurants in one city. That's a lot of restaurants. Journalist Kevin Alexander says it's having an impact. He writes this, Customers get bored really easy, and they are constantly looking for that new thing. The new thing. The next thing. Just think about how we talk after church sometimes, right? Oh, I don't want to go there. You know, I, I, just, I just had curry, Alfredo, lo mein, brisket, shrimp, tacos yesterday. So I don't want them again, you know, today. Let's, let's do something different. We have so many choices. We have so many options. But that's not what it was like back in the day of Jesus. 
Joseph didn't have a little mini fridge over in the corner of the carpenter shop where he kept yoo-hoos and jolt colas for him and Jesus to drink while they were making hope chests during the day. When Jesus got through preaching, Bartholomew didn't run down to the Dairy Queen and get 13 blizzards to bring back for all of the guys. Now, in ancient times, if you were going to eat that day, you were going to have to, to work to eat. You weren't going to be able to just to go through the drive through In ancient times, if you were going to have food that day, then you were going to have to work that day one way or the other to make sure that you were going to have the food. And that seems a little bit foreign to us, but the reality is around the world today, there are some cultures that are still working like that. There are some cultures that live on $1.25 a day. And in those places, $1.25 doesn't go very far. It won't buy you clean food. It will not buy you clean water. I mean, just think about $1.25 in our lives. I mean, how many times a day do we spend $1.25 on a drink? You know, a bottled soda or a, you know, small frappellata colada, you know? I mean, we're always somewhere spending more, usually, than $1.25. So, so this notion of what Jesus is talking about, we're a little bit disconnected from because our, our culture and our society is so different. We, we don't understand the world of no freezer and no fridge and, and no fast food. But just because we're distanced from this with time, just because we're distanced from this from other places in the world, it doesn't mean that the principle is lost on us. The reality is you still should not worry about what you're going to wear to the mall. You still should not worry about what you're going to eat after church. Still, you should not worry about what you're going to order at the coffee shop or, or how much you're going to pay at the pharmacy. See, as Christians, as believers, we are not supposed to worry about the basic necessities of life. But we do, don't we? <laughs> we do worry, don't we? I'll give a, a bit of a confession. Hopefully, it will be helpful. Uh, man, I, I am, I'm an anxious person. <laughs> I mean, I am. I have anxious feelings. There's a lot of mornings that I wake up with anxious feelings. I'm anxious usually immediately about time. Anxious about time. I have anxious feelings about my wife's needs and my kids' needs. I have anxious feelings about making sure that my, or wanting at least my kids not to be churchgoers but Christ followers. Anxious feelings about money. Anxious feelings about making sure that the staff is going to be productive and, and happy here at the church. Anxious feelings about our church pressing on to know the Lord. Anxious feelings that our church would take the gospel and, and engage it in, in foreign nations. Anxious feelings that our church would take the gospel and invest it in the community. Anxious feelings that our church would never become a religious country club. Anxious feelings about how I'm going to balance today being a husband and a father and a pastor and a son and a son-in-law and a brother, and a brother-in-law, and a nephew, and an uncle, and a cousin, and a friend to childhood friends, and a friend to high school friends, and a friend to college friends, and a friend to former church friends, and a friend to strangers. Now, I'm the most anxious guy I know. <laughs> and it's not just the morning, sometimes it's at night too. But during the day, I'm pretty good during the day. During the day, rarely am I anxious. And why? Well, partly because I really love being at Allen Avenue Baptist Church. I really do. 
But, but primarily, there's another reason that, that during the daylight hours, my anxiety fades. This is how Paul put it. 2 Timothy 2, 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. Therefore, he also cannot deny what belongs to him, and I belong to him. Today, last Wednesday, next Monday, five Fridays from now, I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me, not just for the years of time alone, but for all eternity. I belong to God. When I'm anxious, when I have anxious feelings, God is faithful. He doesn't change. And what happens is, is over just a, a little bit of time, God's faithfulness becomes my motivation. And my motivation is to think and act and talk like King David did. Psalm 35, verse 3. Oh God, please say to my soul, I am your salvation. Oh God, say that to me again. God, tell me again over, sing that song again to me that you are mine and I am yours, that I belong to you. And you know what happens? What happens is my anxiety begins to fade. Not perfectly. Because the reality is all day long the enemy still tries to hit me with those fiery darts of those same anxious feelings. But he usually doesn't win during the day. Why? Well, because God's constantly motivating me with his faithfulness. And during the day, he does it in a completely different way. He sends me conversations and phone calls and, and emails and text messages with people from family to friends to fellow church members to complete strangers that help me see the truth of my salvation. People like my friend Bill Arnold, who this week in our prayer time helped me see and embrace this truth again. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater, greater is he. David Guzik writes this, a habit or a passion can only be given up for a greater habit or a greater passion. So the, the habit I have of, of anxious feelings, the way that I give that up is for a greater habit. And by God's grace, the greater habit is that I'm able to remember that my God is greater and my God is stronger and my God is higher than any other. That's who he is, and I belong to him. Now, I'm not really good with math, never have been, and I wish my religious math were better, but I will say this. The nice thing about how God uses his truth in my life is that for all of my anxious feelings in a 24-hour period, it's usually less than 30 minutes. Sometimes it's more, but usually less. In other words, it does not dominate my life even though it's real. And what about when those anxious thoughts hit later in the night? Well, I keep telling myself, self, God's faithful, and you belong to God. But then I also try to remember Paul's advice to the Christians at Rome. Romans 14, verse 8. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, 
We die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. I will forever be thankful to pastor, retired pastor, Jeff Thomas, for putting this sentence in my life. I've shared it with a lot of you. Jeff Thomas writes, we are the Lord's. I know of no softer pillow at night for anyone than that. I fight to put my head on that pillow every night. And some days the fight is easier and some day the fight is harder. But it is a fight. And why do I fight? Well, I fight because my Redeemer tells me, Dow, don't keep worrying. Don't keep worrying. Walk away. You know, I don't ever remember worrying until I was like maybe 36 years old. I mean, I'll have to get my mom to back this up, but, but I don't ever remember worrying about anything. I mean, I was the guy. I woke up in the morning, woohoo, new day. What are we going to do today? God, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then something happened, you know, about 36, 37. I don't know. I don't know if it was my hair falling out faster. I don't know if there was some kind of shortage of bacon for a while there. I, I don't know if it was all that stuff happening with Leno and Conan. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened that just really threw my life off. But all of a sudden, I, I started having anxious feelings. And boy, those anxious feelings, they were real. But you know what also was very, very real and continues to be real? Is the message from my Redeemer. Do not keep worrying. Don't do it. That phrase here in the original language, it it has the meaning of to, to raise to a height or to buoy up. To raise to a height or or to buoy up. So just think on this for a minute. See, we are human, we are sinful, we are not perfect. So from time to time, we're going to worry about the basic necessities of life. We're going to worry about material things. But when Jesus says, do not keep worrying, what he's saying is it's, it's one thing to struggle, but it's another thing to, to worship. Struggling and idolatry are not the same thing. And so you may have a time or two or, or here and there on the day that, that you struggle a little bit with worrying over, over basic things that you shouldn't worry about. But that worry should not be the highest flag on your pole. And if that flag ever shoots up, then go grab the ropes of truth and get it down as quickly as you can. So you may have some, some times where you worry, you have some anxious feelings about the basic necessities of life. But you should not give that worry a buoy-up experience. You shouldn't give it a safe place to float around in your life. You should not treat worry like it's an inflatable lounge chair at the pool and just kick back and have some lemonade and just, just enjoy the worry. No, you should unplug that thing and deflate it as soon as possible. And why? What's the big deal? Why should you make sure that worry is not the highest flag in your life? Why should you be sure that you don't have a life preserver in your life that says USS anxiety. Well, Jesus tells us, look at verse 30. For all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek. When we worry about the, the bare necessities of life, when we worry about the basics, we are acting like people who should not be members of the local Baptist church. We are acting like people who are not Christians. Now, you may be thinking, ah, you know, I'm a warrior. It's just who I am. I don't hurt anybody. You know, it's no big deal. And doubtly, it is a big deal because Jesus says stop. <laughs> Jesus says don't keep doing it. He says do not do it. Charles Spurgeon said this, 
you again, you say again that you cannot help being anxious. Then, my dear friend, I must very solemnly ask you, what is the difference between you and the man of the world? <laughs> well, that'll bless your heart, right? <laughs> there has to be a difference. There has to be a difference. But let me be clear, the difference is not perfection. The difference is not as we get it all right and we never worry and everything. That, that's, that's not the difference. The difference is progression and aggression. It means that it's clearly seen in your life that you are praying through that worrying. You're praying through those anxious feelings and you're fighting through those anxious feelings. You are not letting that be the highest flag in your life. And why is that important? Why do we need progression and aggression? Well, because worry is a form of worship. We've said that for the last couple of Sundays now. Worry is a type of idolatry. See, when we're worrying in that moment, we are worshiping our circumstances or our potential circumstances. If you've been here the last couple of Sundays, you've had to endure my reimagining of our Sunday songs if we sang them with the attitudes that we have during the week. So hopefully this will be the third and last round of uh, Dowpool karaoke here. How about this one that we've already sung? Are you weak and full of worry, so stressed out with anxious cares, growing pressure with your tax files, just take them to your wife upstairs? Or maybe this one. Our yard is greater, our grass is stronger, our fence is higher than any other, our shrubs are trimmer, our flowers brighter, our yard, better win yard of the month this month. See, see we, we laugh about things like that, but that, that's how we really think during the week sometimes. We, we, we are obsessed with the things of the world to a point that it drives our thoughts and our emotions, our attitudes. And the danger of that is, is our worship during the week matters just as much as it matters here on Sunday mornings. You see, we live in a dark world, a dark world full of evil. But you do not live here accidentally. That's what Paul said to the Christians at Philippi, Philippians 2, 14 through 15, reading this from the Amplified Classic Version. Do all things without grumbling or fault-finding and complaining and questioning and doubting, so that you may show yourselves to be bright lights, stars, beacons, shining out clearly in the dark world. See, when we are worshiping our worry, this is what we're doing. We are blending in with the dark. You know, as Christians, we're quick to say, boy, this is a dark, evil place. When we worry, we blend in with the dark. Don't blend. We should be the people that don't blend. We should be shining in the dark. We should be lights for the gospel. And what's our motivation to not worry about the basic necessity? What's our motivation to not keep worrying about these things? Well, Jesus gives us one. Look at verse 30. But your Father knows that you need these things. But your Father knows that you need these things. Listen, I can't promise you that you're going to get a new car or a new house or a new job. I can't promise you that you're going to make the team or you're going to accept it into that of college. I can't promise you that the cool kids are going to like you. I can't promise you that you're going to get a, a good promotion at work or a good tax refund or a good deal on a hot water heater. 
I can't promise you those things. All I can promise you is what Jesus promised. And the promise that Jesus gives is this. God knows. God knows. If you are not a Christian, you are breathing right now because God knows your needs. And he cares for you. And your greatest need is to be right with him so that when you stop breathing, that you will be with him and you will not be separated from perfect joy and perfect satisfaction. Rich Cather says this, God wants you to be more concerned about what kind of shape you'll be in when you arrive in heaven as opposed to what kind of shape you'll be in when you retire. It's a different mindset that Jesus is always calling us to. If you are a Christian, then the only promise that I can give you is the promise that Jesus gives. And the promise that Jesus gives is God knows. God knows. God knows you. He cares for you. And he knows what you need. And your greatest need was salvation. And so God has already accomplished that. And Jesus has already paid for that for you. And so as my friend Brad Vaden used to say, everything above hell is icing on the cake. That's how amazing salvation is. It's, it is everything that you need. Jesus gives us some pretty simple instructions. He tells us not to strive for the things that the world strives after. Don't, don't stress out about the things that non-Christians stress out about. Don't let that define your life. Do not keep worrying. Our Father is a good Father, and He knows what you need. So that's what you don't do. So what should you do? What's the next thing you should do? Look what Jesus says in verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So don't seek food first. Don't seek water first. Don't seek marriage first. Don't seek family first. Don't seek work first or sports first or entertainment first or or politics first or or whatever else it is. You fill in the blank. Don't seek those things first. Seek God's kingdom first. What does that mean? Well, it's an extremely difficult mathematical algorithm. It's very hard to sort through. Not everybody can get it, but we're we're gonna give it a shot this morning. If you have a scientific calculator with you, you probably should pull it out. This would be a good time that you'll be able to use it. So here you go. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. Love God first. Love God most. I know. <laughs> Mind-boggling, right? I mean, I hope you just wrote that down because, I mean, you're going to have to go back and figure this out later. Love God first. Love God most. See, when our greatest passion in life is loving God and obeying God first and most, then we will have everything we need for life. Everything we'll need for marriage. Everything we'll need for family. Everything we'll need for work and for school. And we'll even always have at least a glass of bread and a crust. I mean, a glass of, well, you know what I'm saying. A glass of water and a crust of bread. But see, here's the thing with Jesus. We, we usually have more than a glass of water and a crust of bread. I love how Lig Duncan Duncan puts this. You want a Lexus, and he wants to give you the kingdom. You want a bigger house, and he wants to give you the kingdom. You want a smarter husband or a better-looking wife, and he wants to give you the kingdom. 
You want to be important, and he wants to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you far more than you have your heart set on. I want you to think of everything that you've ever wanted, everything that you may have ever been anxious about, whatever is on your Christmas list for next year. Add everything in your life that you've ever wanted, everything that you've ever been anxious for, and none of it is enough. None of it. God's desire for you is far more than what you can imagine. And so what we end up with is we start thinking God is stingy. That's how Lake Duncan puts it. We think God's stingy because I want this and I've never gotten it. So God, he's not taking care of me. He's, he's letting that guy in my neighborhood get that and I didn't get one. You know, we think that's a middle school girl problem. Guess what? It's all of us. <laughs> all of us. It's not just that she got a new dress. It's that he got a new weed eater. See, we live in a world where we're constantly looking and we're wanting more. And Jesus is telling us what you want is so low because God wants to give you more, far more. In a few moments, we're, we're all going to leave and go back to our real lives. Your real life might involve a difficult spouse. Your real life might involve a difficult child. Your real life might involve a difficult boss or a difficult teacher. Might involve a, a dysfunctional politician. Your life might feel very depressing. And so I want to be sure that, that I try to give you something to encourage you before you head out and back into your real life today. Something about the God of the Bible and something about what it means to have salvation in Jesus Christ. John Piper says this, there are some kings who find it very effective to keep their subjects in constant anxiety. We see that in several places in the world right now. There are some kings that love keeping their subjects in constant anxiety. Then he describes it. If the people are anxious about their life and worry about where their next meal is coming from, then perhaps they will be more willing to do the king's bidding in order to get the food they need from the king's storehouse. Anxiety keeps them in their place, and fear makes the monarchy firm. And he says this. But one of the greatest things about Jesus is that he does not want his people to be anxious. The sheer statement from the Lord that he does not want me to be anxious has a great tendency to give me peace. That's a great sentence. I want you to know without a doubt that Jesus is constantly trying to tell his children, I don't want you to be anxious. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to fret. And just the fact that he says it more than once, it, it should give us some sense of peace, that his desire is that we would not be anxious. So what's next? What's next for you? What's the very next thing you should do? 
Well, I would say this. Know this, that Jesus cares for you. That Jesus knows what you need. And so I would just say this. Seek first his kingdom. And may the peace of Christ be with you. May the peace of Christ really, really be with you.